If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. We'll be reading the entire psalm. Psalm 104. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty who covers yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You have set up a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. He sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them the birds of the heavens have their homes. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, all to make his face to shine and bread which strengthens man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedar of Lebanon which he planted where the birds make their nest and the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high hills are for the wild goats, the cliffs are a refuge for the rock badgers. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. You make darkness, and it is night in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. The great and wide sea, in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. There the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan, which you have made to play there. These These all wait for you, that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, they are filled with good. You hide your face, they are all troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You sent forth your spirit, and they all are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth, and it trembles. He touched the hills, and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditations be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked one be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. O God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, 
the Prince of Peace. Give us grace to hear your word. Help us, Father, to be attentive to what is gathered from your truth. Grant us the strength to hear and apply those things to our lives. We know we can't, on our own, learn of your love. We need you and we need your guidance, Lord. Please give us the desire to seek you, for your word clearly tells us no one seeks you without the Holy Spirit working in their heart. Come into every heart here this morning. Prepare them to receive your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we open this psalm, we find there's no information given as to who the author was of this great work of praise. The Septuagint, which is the Old Testament, which was translated into Greek not long after the death of Alexander the Great, says it was David. The writing is certainly of the style of David, so this seems David is the best choice to be the penman of this work. We have in this psalm one of the loftiest and longest inspired songs of Scripture. This is an important psalm. It's important because it's an interpretation of creation itself. It recounts the works of both creation and providence. It covers the entire cosmos, sea and land, cloud and sunlight, plant and animal, life and darkness, life and death, all show the expressiveness of the presence of God. We find the work of each of the six days of creation and a faint mark of the divine rest upon the seventh day. You could tell this as Spurgeon does, you could call this as he does, the poet's version of Genesis. It is not alone the present condition of the earth, which is the heart of the psalm. There is also a hint given of the holier times, times when we shall see a new earth wherein dwell righteousness, out of which the sinner shall be consumed. What you should see is that a great and ardent praise runs through the whole of this psalm. We also find with it a distinct realization of the divine being as a personal existence loved and trusted as well as adored. I divided this psalm into five sections. The psalmist opens first by ascribing blessedness to the Lord. He also brings out the light and the firmament, which were the works of the first and second days of creation. Next, in a very smooth transition, he reveals the separation of the waters from the dry ground, the formation of rain, streams, and rivers, and the growing of the green herbs which all came on the third day. In the next section, he brings forth the sun and moon to be the guardians of day and night, and so he shows us the works of the fourth day. The fourth group, having spoken of many varieties of living things, the Lord was pleased to fill the air, the sea, and the land with all manner of living things. He did this on the fifth and sixth days. Last, he gives a Sabbath blessing and a hymn and prayer. If you look, you will see that this psalm starts and ends just as the preceding psalm did. I don't believe it could have started any better. Verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God. You are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty who covers yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. 
what this tells us is that true worship begins at home. It begins in the worshiper's heart. It is a real danger, a great danger, to call others to come and worship and praise if we're not ungratefully silent ourselves. We cannot refuse to worship our Lord. It's important that you call upon your heart to come alive and stir yourself up to make sure you're not sluggish in your worship. If you fail to be ready, if you fail to be excited about your worship, you shall have a real cause to be ashamed. As you gather to magnify the Lord, you must do it with great enthusiasm. You must understand your best effort is not up to his worthiness. Please don't dishonor your God by offering to him a half-hearted worship. And please understand when we talk of worship, we're not talking about entertainment that makes us feel good. We are talking about what is in your heart. Do you come with a thankful attitude for all God has done for you? Do you in your heart praise God and acknowledge his grace as it is given in Jesus Christ? Now that is real worship. The psalmist goes on to say, O Lord my God, you are very great. Here we see from the psalmist's pen a description that blends faith and fear together in a very remarkable way. We have a boldness of faith and an awe of holy fear. We see the call to the infinite Jehovah, my God. And at the same time, we get the picture of one falling on his face in wonder at such divine greatness. He cries out in absolute surprise, you are very great. The Israelites saw Jehovah as great on Mount Mount Sinai. What were his opening words of the law? Do you remember? I am the Lord thy God. What this means is the wonder expressed is not a reference to the creation and its greatness, but a reference to God himself. It's not the universe that is very great, but, uh, oh, oh Lord my God, you are very great. There are far too many who stay on the idea that the greatness comes from the creation. And when they do, they become idolatrous in spirit. We just see that it is the creator himself that is the true greatness. He says, you are clothed with honor and majesty. This honor, this majesty are the works God has done to give us life and to give us a place to adore him. His majesty is always displayed in such a way as to reflect honor upon his whole character. He does whatever he wills, but he wills only that which is holy like himself. He goes on with these words, who covers yourself with light as with a garment. God wraps himself in light as a king does his robe. This shows God's glory and how inconceivable it really is. If light itself is his clothing, how much bright How much brighter would his essential being be? It is such that mortal man could not look upon it without being consumed. 
this reinforces how much this psalm began, how this psalm began. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. The psalmist shows the beginning of creation. He reflects Genesis 1, 1 through 6 and verses 3 through 4. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angel spirits, his ministers, a flame of fire. He tells us. He tells us about his home, about how it was made. He builds upon the waters of life. He lays the framing in place while sustaining them by his wisdom, which is far above anything we could ever begin to understand. He fashions his chariots of the clouds themselves. When he comes in his chariot of wrath, deep thunder clouds form his showing his judgment. When he comes in his chariot of grace and mercy, the clouds are white and purity, and they show forth his love. He comes to his chariots riding on the wings of the wind. O oh Lord my God, you are very great. Verse 4 tells us, Who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. He makes his angels his ministering spirits, or you could say he makes them his wind. These angels do his bidding. They make sure his children are safe. He makes his ministers flames of fire. They take the message of his word and proclaim it, setting the world on fire with his love. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. The psalmist continues in verses five and six. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. God made the cosmos. He set it in motion. He placed the earth in its place. And no one, absolutely no one, can move it out of that place. It will remain there as long as that's where the Lord wants it. Your God is a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God. He says this earth, as it is inception, was wrapped in a blanket of water. This helps us to see the Creator beginning His work, laying the foundation for future order and beauty. You must think on this with reference so as to fill your heart with awe and adoration. O oh Lord my God, you are very great. In this next section, verses 7 through 18, we learn more about how this creation came about. What we see reflected here is seen in Genesis 1, 9 through 13 which covers the third day of creation. Now in Psalm 104.7, At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. In this verse we see that the waters, the waters listened to the voice of God. They moved back, allowing the dry earth to appear. It was the voice of God that affected the separation of dry land from the waters. We can take heart that just as his voice caused the waters to recede, so will that same voice cause the troubles of this life to recede, which will also cause the raging billows of sin to be rebuked. The day is coming when the thunder of God's voice will cause the proud and arrogant waters of evil to utterly fly away. 
O Lord my God, you are very great. Verse 8. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. This tells us that the waters of this world are the hands of God. You ever thought about that? How much God used waters in, in developing this whole world? So the waters are the hands of God working to secure for his children a place of beauty and life. They heed his voice. They make a home for all his creatures. Verse 9, you have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. The waters of God's creation are obedient to his every command. They found their place and remain there until called by God to come as an agent of justice. They once again flooded the earth and washed away the same stint of mankind. Then, when called back, they returned to their place. They have not exceeded their boundaries since. Now, turn over to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis 9, verses 12 through 15a. Genesis 9, 12 through 15a. We hear here of the covenant God made with mankind. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbows shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant between, which is between me and you. The rainbow is a sign of God's promise never destroy the earth again by flood. It's a very important promise to us. This is as important a sign that we cannot give up that sign because it was given to us by God. Don't let others cause you to avoid giving praise to God for his wonderful rainbow. Don't be ashamed to use the rainbow. I know it's been taken over by some sinful people, but we don't have to give in to that. This is God's promise to us. This is an important sign. Verse 10, he sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. God has taken the waters that once covered the earth and placed them in vast lakes of water below the surface. From these, those lakes, the waters come to the surface in springs that feed streams and rivers going into the seas to keep them filled with life. The Lord used the waters as an agent of his wrath. And today, he uses them as an agent of life. This shows the sovereignty of our Lord along with his greatness. O Lord, my God, you are very great. Verse 11. They they give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. In this verse, you can see the absolute dependence you have on your God. You are dependent on him for everything. Without water, there would be no life. The springs, rivers, and seas on this planet provide to all creatures, large and small, life. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. Do you see his greatness and all that he has done for us? How he has provided for us everything we need. Listen to verse 12. By them, the the birds of the heavens have their homes. 
They sing among the branches. The psalmist uses these words about the birds to teach us about the liberty God has created for us in, in, in this life. Everything we have need of is fulfilled by God's creation, just as it is for the birds of the air. When we too drink of the river of God and eat of the tree of life, it becomes us to lift our voices and sing of his praises. Our Lord has been our dwelling place for this life in all generations. O oh Lord my God, you are very great. Verse 13. He waters the hills from the, his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. We see in this the mountains and hills cannot be watered by the springs and streams. They must be watered from above. He waters them with rain from the heavens. He holds the water in the clouds, pouring down on the earth life-giving showers. Where man cannot reach, the Lord can. Who else can water with such grace? The psalmist continues, The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. What we learn here is that the fullness of this divine work is everywhere. The soil is saturated with rain, the seed germinates, the animals drink and the birds sing. Nothing is left unsupplied. So too is it in the new creation. God gives more grace. He fills his people with all good things and they confess his fullness that they have received grace upon grace. Oh Lord my God, you are very great. Verses 14 and 15. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. God has given us food for our tables, from the cattle on the hills to the green herbs of the garden. Don't listen to these nonsensical things they're putting out about cows. We need to get rid of cows. That's one of the main things God gave us to sustain us. He gave all of this for the service of man, it says. God feeds the animals and causes the plants to grow to feed mankind. Man may till the land and protect the cattle. But my friend, it is God that provides, calling forth our supplies from the ground. He created the vine that produces the wine. He does not just give the food to keep us alive, but gives the wine that makes the heart rejoice. God gives the wine for joy, but man, man so often turns it into something ill, sinful, and dangerous. We must be careful to take the blessing of God and use those blessings as he directs, for our imaginations will cause us to to misuse the blessings and fall into sin. Verses 16 and 17. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. The cedar of Lebanon, which he planted where the birds make their nest, the stork has her home in the fir tree. What this teaches is about the great trees that grow on the mountain slopes and are tall and strong because of the care of God. If God gives such care to trees, if he lets them grow so tall and live so long, what, pray tell, will he do for those men 
who come to him and acknowledge their needs and give up their trying to make themselves into something of worth and allow God to care for them. This is strengthened as we look at where the birds make their nest and the storks their homes. They chose that place that God has built and is protecting. So, should you not do the same thing and make your nest in the arms of Jesus Christ and rest in his work, not your own? There's no stronger place than in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn your thoughts to him and to him alone. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. Verse 18, the high hills are from the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for the rock badgers. You see the same lesson here. You see it with the goats and rock badgers finding a safe place for their home. If you see yourself for the center you are and see your great need you have, then you too can live your life in peace. Jesus came into this world to do for you everything you could not do for yourself. He lived the perfect life. He died the atoning death. He won the resurrection victory. Now all you have to do is place your hope and trust in him and in him alone. The goats could not make a mountain. The rock badger could not make a cliff. You could not defeat sin. But God can do them all. And as clearly as he made the mountains for the goat and the cliffs for the rock badgers, he also made Christ for you. You need but hear his gospel and believe he is who he says he is and you can find that hope. Oh Lord my God, how great you are. We come now to the fourth day of creation where we again come to praise our Lord for his works. Verse 19. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. You make darkness and it is night in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. We come now to see the great lights and their purpose as our theme for praise. The moon is mentioned first because the Jewish day began at the setting of the sun. The moon was given to set for the seasons of the year. By its waxing and waning, the moon divides the seasons and sets the times of the religious festivals of the Jewish calendar. We must never regard the moon's motions as happening by chance. They are appointed by God. The moon was made and set in the heavens to serve man. The sun sets the time of the day and night. And like the moon is set in its place for the service of man. The darkness of the night is the time for the beasts to come out and search for their food. Why should the wild beasts not have their time as well as man? Darkness is better for beasts than for man. Men who prefer the darkness to the light are a brutish lot. When the darkness of ignorance descends on a nation as it has on ours, that nation finds itself caught in all sorts of superstitions, cruelties, and vices. It is only the gospel, like the sunrise, that can give any hope to clearing away those brutes that spew forth such abominations. In this we learn the worth of true light. 
We learn that we must depend on the light where there is darkness, for darkness will always hide the dangers that can kill. In considering these two great lights, man should fall on his face and praise the God who made them. This continues in verse 21. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. The lions roar. Now they don't roar for their prey because that tends to run them away. In this verse, we have the Holy Spirit telling us that the lions roar because they know who has given them their food. They roar in thanks to their creator. Verses 22 and 23. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Once the sun rises and man reappears on the plains, the brute beast of the field return to their appointed place to rest. They remain there until the sun goes down and man returns to his place of rest. There was one. There was one who was not provided the same comforts, for he, was, he had nowhere to lay his head. All were provided for, but this one, the incarnate provider, Jesus Christ. Spurgeon says, Blessed Lord, thou hast stooped beneath the conditions of the brutes to life worse than brutish men. Our Savior came as the poorest of the poor. He came to give us eternal treasure that can never spoil or fade away. Let our thanks be better than the roar of lions. O oh Lord my God, you are very great. He continues looking at the fourth and fifth days of creation through a picture of the works of God, our Creator. Verses 24 and 25. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions, this great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. There the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan which you have made to play there. The works of the Lord are great in number and manifold in variety. They come in mineral, vegetable, and animal. What a wide range of works do these three words suggest. We see works in the heavens and in the earth beneath and in the waters. Works that abide the ages, that come and go, some overnight, some in weeks, months, and some in years, decades, or centuries. We can see that all of these works come from divine authority. Authority wrought by his power and displayed by his wisdom. He also shows the sea as the living pond it is, with a wealth of animal life capable of providing food for his creation as long as he leaves it here. Ships pass over it carrying its wealth. Then there's Leviathan, that large and powerful beast that makes the sea his playground. So we can thank the Lord for making the sea to be so rich in the works of your hands, richer than the land itself. O oh Lord my God, you are very great. Verses 27 through 29. These all wait for you that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, they are filled with good. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. All the creatures, 
All the creatures you, O Lord, have made, including man, wait on you for their food. This is why you need to to give thanks at every meal. Because all of our food comes from our Creator. We have nothing that He has not given us, and we should thank Him for all we have. If you choose, Lord, to hide your face, then they are in trouble. You take away their breath, and they die and return to dust. Here's an important lesson for us all. I pray you're seeing exactly how dependent you are on your Lord. We are not promised anything beyond the breath we're taking right this moment. Your heart beats because he gives it strength to do so. Your hair grows at his command and he has each hair numbered. Nothing you do is based on your decision. You blink your eye at his command. Your tongue speaks only what he allows. Open your heart. Open your heart and give thanks to your great creator God for all of his blessings. Oh my Lord, how great are you. He shows the depth in which this world was created. Verse 30. You sent forth your spirit and they created and you renew the face of the earth. God created everything in this cosmos. Everything we call home. Nothing was made that he did not make. In Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we're told how it all began. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God sent forth his Spirit and created everything. He also gives us a picture of what was to come. Men rebelled against their God, and death was found upon them. But God was not about to allow sin to destroy the works of his hands. So he sent his only begotten son into this sinful world to do for men what they could never do for themselves. By his spirit, he renewed the hearts of his people and gave them new life for eternity. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. In these last five verses, we're looking to the seventh day of creation. Verses 31 through 32. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touched the hills and they smoke. Some of the Lord's works may pass away, but not his glory. Were it only for what he has already done, the Lord deserves to be praised without end. God rejoiced in his works when he looked on the last day and saw that all he had made was good. At the creation, God displayed all of his works. At the fall, he withheld all of his wrath and anger. He could have touched the earth as he touched Sinai, and it would have all been consumed by fire and smoke. Our God himself is a consuming fire. Woe to those who provoke him. Verses 33 through 35. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditations be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked one be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Here. Here we come in that last great day 
when God's worship is called forth. As we gather in that great assembly in heaven, we will forever sound our praise before this great creator God. We will be gathered with saints from all ages, lifting our voices and praises before him. This will be that eternal day in which we shall all participate in our Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist therefore ends as he began. Bless the Lord, O my soul, adding by way of exhortation to all the world, praise the Lord. Let us, let us then with the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. In conclusion, I would ask you, as the psalmist did, to take a very close look at what you have to praise and thank God for. You need to consider that. Oh, God opened with the creation of this world and everything in it, and he said it was done over six days. All in those six days were pointing you to the last day, the day of rest. Men throughout the whole of the Old Testament times were looking forward to that great day of rest. But all that, all that changed with the coming of Jesus Christ. He fulfilled every work man was given to do in order to have a relationship with God. Jesus finished the covenant works. By his works, you were ushered into that day of rest. You are in the day of rest now. By his works, you were ushered in. By your trust in Christ, you are under the covenant of redemption. You're saved by grace through faith in the Lord, making this praise of the Creator very important. You must remember every day, O oh Lord my God, you are very great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have told us, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have given the fullness in Christ to us. Help us. Help us take that fullness and be the witness you have called us to be. Let our lives reflect the glory of his riches of grace and mercy to this lost world which we're passing through. Minister to everyone here under the, the sound of my voice. Help those who know you to grow and those who don't to see the light and come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.